Omagana Timirandhasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshur Unmilitam Yena Tasmai Shri Guravenamaha. I was asked to speak on Bhakti Siddhanta. Uh, I saw on the printer I was given that I'm supposed to, every lecture is on the same topic. Well, actually, every le- lecture should be on the Bhakti Siddhanta. If there's anything but Bhakti Siddhanta, then there's a problem. We're only supposed to speak Bhakti Siddhanta. Bhakti Siddhanta means the proper conclusion of pure devotional service to Krishna. But I didn't, I, I thought, I was under the impression that I was going to speak once on that and not on every lecture. So I may uh, speak more broadly about Bhakti Siddhanta. I mean, in other words, not directly on this topic uh, of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta. I I'm scheduled to speak tomorrow morning. Is it? During... Okay, so maybe tomorrow morning I can give a regular Bhagavatam class. Whatever the verse is. Okay, so I, presumably I was asked to speak on Bhakti Siddhanta because I had the good fortune to uh, take up the service of compiling a book on Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati copies of which are available here. Has anyone here read this book? You've read it? How far did you get? You you opened it up. You read different parts, yeah. Okay. Approximately how much, percentage-wise? About a quarter of it. Right. Anyone else? You you read a couple of chapters. Okay. Anyone else? No. All right. Read the whole thing. Yeah. I guess when you look at it, people might be turned off just at the size of it. We live in the cartoon age. People are not accustomed to for anything that strains their neurons more than Tom and Jerry. Or I guess Tom and Jerry's out of, out of date now, is it? If same, uh, same kind of theme. Someone bashes someone else. More sophisticated ways nowadays, I guess. Anyway, devotees are meant not to be shallow. Not to be cartoon types. There is a cartoon recently come out called Little Krishna, it's called in English. I think it was originally released in Hindi. Someone gave some of them to me. Um, I looked for about 20 seconds, I just deleted them all. This This is not Bhakti Siddhanta. Might be someone's conception of Krishna, but not is not the Krishna who we receive from Bhaktivedanta, Bhakti Siddhanta, Gorkisha, Bhaktivinoda. Not from it's not our Parampara Krishna. As Srila one of the many, many quotes from Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati in this book is, is that we are not in 
we are interested in Rupa Goswami's Krishna, not the Krishna of the, imagined by the scholars, not the Krishna of the popular reciters. We are interested in Rupa Goswami's Krishna. Rupa Nogavirudha Apisidhanta Dvanta Hari, one of the names of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, which is included in his uh, Pranam Mantra is he who removes the darkness of erroneous conclusions opposed to that of Sri Rupa Goswami. So uh, this topic, the, t- the topic of Bhakti Siddhanta, and particularly the teachings of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, are not f- for beginners in the modern world. Not as I wrote in the preface or introduction to the book, that the teachings of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati can best be approached by most people in the present time through the teachings of Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada, which are non-different, different and non-different. Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati's presentation appears to be quite complex. Actually, it's not complex. But it appears, the, the linguistic structure and the philosophical presentation might appear to be somewhat complex. But actually, it's uh, composed in such a style as to be wholly unambiguous and it's very difficult to, it's stated in a way that cannot be misunderstood. That's, that is, uh, it's particularly aimed at that. Of course, people are expert at misunderstanding everything. That is our material condition. That we have all become very expert in misunderstanding everything. And even when the clear, plain truth is presented to us, we may imagine so many different theories. Just like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he listened to Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya for four, was it eight days? He listened to Sarvabhoma's explanation of the Vedanta Sutras. And Sarvabhoma was known as the greatest scholar of the age. And after so many days of speaking to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he said to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, I'm speaking, but you don't say anything, so I don't know whether you understand or not. You don't ask any questions, you don't make any comments, so I don't know whether you understand or not. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, yeah, I understand the Vedanta Sutras very well, but I don't understand the word that you're saying. It doesn't make any sense, which was a great challenge for Sarvabhava. He was supposed to be, t- he had taken the role of teaching Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said that the... Vedanta Sutras, they are clear. Their meaning is self-evident. But your explanations, I mean Sarvabhoma's explanations, which are derived from those of Shankara, Shankara Acharya, as he's sometimes called, uh, they simply cover the clear meaning, which it was a great challenge to... Sarvabhoma, and then debate ensued. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu showed that actually the, the meaning is very clear. But only, of course, 
we because we are covered by various misconceptions, we need someone to point out how it's clear because if we try to study Vedanta Sutra, for a start, we can't because we don't know Sanskrit. But even if we knew Sanskrit, if we just studied it without help, we wouldn't see it because it doesn't seem so clear to us because our heads are so muddled. So, uh, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, actually his teachings are very clear. But uh, due to the language, it may seem, makes it very difficult and obscure. But actually the language is such that uh, everything is precise and definite and clear, and uh, which is uh, possible, more possible if uh, in in Sanskrit or languages uh, derived from Sanskrit. Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur wrote mostly in what is generally called Bengali, but he called his language Gauriya Bhasha, which means the language of the devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's not like ordinary Bengali at all. If you read it to any, even educated Bengalis, unless they're particularly studied in this line, unless they've studied his writings and associated with him or his devotees, even a highly educated Bengali, they can't understand it. Uh, because it's technical language, it's philosophical language, just like uh, in any technical field, doctors, if they talk among themselves, people are not trained in medicine, can't understand. If they're talking about medicine, then people are not trained, can't understand, because they're using a partic- they have their particular vocabulary, or in any field, uh, in any uh, specialized field, there is a specialized vocabulary. So similarly, uh, in the field of uh, Vedantic, Vedanta Darshan, or the philosophical understanding of Vedanta, there is a certain technical terms which are used. And uh, even those terms, they have to be defined differently in different, they're defined or used differently by different schools. Just like the word bhakti is there in uh, every in, well in every Indian language that is derived from Sanskrit, which means most of them, most language except uh, Urdu, I guess, uh, and maybe the languages of the northeast and maybe some tribal languages. It's proposed that Tamil is not derived from Sanskrit, but that's bogus. It is derived from Sanskrit. Anyway. Um, the word bhakti is there. It's there in Tamil also, for that matter. Uh, but people, the general understanding of bhakti is a sh- rather shallow understanding. A general, it denotes a general feeling of devotion, but it's more precisely defined by various acharyas. For Shankara, bhakti is a means to come to the platform of jnana. For, for Ramanuja, bhakti is the means to come to the platform of Sharanagati. And for Rupa Goswami, for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, bhakti is the goal, the means and the goal. It is, it's, it's not a means to anything else. It's not that one performs bhakti. 
for the sake of coming to some other platform. But it is in itself the goal. Uh, that is actually stated in Srimad Bhagavatam. Bhaktya Sanjataya Bhaktya. Bhakti gives rise to Bhakti. So, Bhaktisthan uh, Sasra, he was very, uh, you, if you read the book, I recommend you read all of Prabhupada's books first. Otherwise, it will be difficult to understand. In fact, you can read them several times. Otherwise, it may be difficult even to begin to grasp the concepts. They're all very clear. They're not difficult to understand, but it's good to read Prabhupada's books first. And uh, then that will also help to understand Prabhupada's books. Because Prabhupada Bhaktivedanta is non-different from Bhakti Siddhanta. So yeah, one of the one of the points, major points of Bhaktisthakur's teachings was proper definition of words. Just like we may ask someone, "Do you believe in God?" and they'll say yes. They may say yes, but when I say God and you say God, the conception is completely different. So I'm thinking of one thing and they're thinking of something else. Or they may say no. And they, they 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 don't believe in the God. They don't believe in the God that I also don't believe in. This idea: Do I believe in a God who's sitting on a cloud and throwing down this angry old, very old man, ugly and punishing people? Uh, I don't believe in that God. Or do I believe in God who had frizzy hair? And then ended up in a wheelchair and died recently. Uh, that's well. In one sense, you believe he existed, but he's not God. And then the question itself is stupid anyway. Do you believe in God? It's a stupid question because what does it matter whether we believe in God or not? It doesn't make any difference to whether he, his existence doesn't depend on our belief. It's a stupid question. So. So, uh, proper usage of words. This was a, a major point of Bhaktisthan Saraswati. He wanted to make a book with a proper definition of words. So, because you can't even begin to communicate unless, unless people understand the words in the same way that you do. We want to talk about Bhakti and Bhagavan, which is, Bhagavan is the term which is, uh, may be translated in English as God. So, if, but if I say God and you nod your head, but you're thinking of something completely different, then there's no, it may seem that there's communication going on, but it's not. Many people, they think of God, well, there's so many different manifestations of God, and I'm God, you're God, everyone's God, this is God, that's God, God's this, God's that, God's, uh, you can believe in one God in one day, another God the next day. So, yeah, oh God, God, yeah, yeah. They're thinking of something completely different. So, we might, unless there's a clear understanding of terms, then there's no real communication going on. Okay. 25 pound fine. <laughs> Everyone has a mobile phone? What do they call in this country? Cell phones? Okay. You haven't got a phone. You are a wise man. You lost it? Okay, everyone please take out your dearly beloved cell phone 
and turn the damn thing off. So we can discuss Bhakti Siddhantra, not cell phones. Why didn't I remember to say that first? Always it has to go off. So we're discussing a much better topic of Bhakti Siddhanta. Uh, yeah, one of the topics discussed in this book, how is he wanted to make a uh, compendium, a lexicon, I guess you call it, of, of, with proper definitions of words. And he, he was so serious about this, he said, if I don't do it in this lifetime, I'll, I'll come back and do it again. I'll come back to... This should be done. Otherwise, there's no communication. The, the parampara is going on, but the, the parampara is... Uh, it's a parampara of concepts which are... or conceptions which are communicated by sound. Here with this song about this dance, Krishna hoite chatur mukha Hoi Krishna Shavan Mukha. How did that happen? How did Brahma become inclined to serve Krishna? Because Tene Brahma Hridaya Adikavya, the Vedic sounds were imparted in the heart of Brahma by Krishna. Brahma spoke to Narada. It's sound. The, the Vedic mantras, they're sounds. So sound, the primordial sound. Nada, that is, uh, no, beyond Nada, that is conveyed, well, the ultimate sound is Omkar, but that is conveyed by the Rishis, who are persons who they, they can, they perceive the Vedic sounds and communicate them to others. So, communication is by sound. Anavriti Shabdat. Vedanta Sutra's final statement is that one is released from material bondage by sound, by words. So if the words are not properly understood, then there's no communication. There's no proper communication. There's no clear communication. So that was, uh, that's, that's Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, one of his, uh, one of the basic points he wanted to make. So there are so many points in this book. Yeah, I was asked to speak on this because, uh, as I say, I compiled this book. Devotees who read it, uh, they, uh, several devotees have expressed appreciation. They say it's a great book, that it has changed or revolutionized their understanding of Krishna consciousness. And I agree with them. It's a great book. When I read it also, I start to, I also become absorbed in reading it. Uh, not because I think I'm a great, it's a great book because I'm a great author. Not like that, but because he is such a, a great person. He is such a, a, what shall we say? This word great. It's a generally used term, but there is no... What term shall we use? Which word shall we use to describe uh, his greatness? All the adjectives seem worn out. 
when we understand how great he is and our appreciation of Srila Prabhupada what a, what a great Acharya he is that's also uh, increased by understanding what a, what a great Acharya he represented and how well he represented him how he understood that the teachings of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, how he took them, which are apparently very complex, and presented them in a relatively simple form, without compromising anything whatsoever, and gave it to the most unlikely people. So, uh, certainly our appreciation of Srila Prabhupada and all the Acharyas and our Gorya lineage and Krishna should increase by understanding Bhakti Siddhanta. Uh, someone wrote to me about this book. After reading this book, they said about Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati that you, addressing myself, you have brought him to life. <laughs> but he was never dead. He uh, as Srila Prabhupada wrote in his dedication to Srimad Bhagavatam, he, he wrote to my eternal spiritual master, Om Vishnupad Paramahamsa Parivrajaka Acharya, Ashtotarasata Sri Srimad, Bhakti Siddhant Saraswati Goswami Swami Maharaj. He lives forever in his divine instructions and the follower lives with him. So, Bhakti Siddhanta was, there's, there's no question of him not being alive. Uh, he himself said about Bhakti Vinod Thakur, famous words, famous means among his followers, I suppose, among his Bengali followers more, because they understand the language that he spoke in. Uh, but a famous, uh, statement of his. Actually, there are many famous statements of his which were made in what is generally considered to be his final speech just a few days before he passed away. He spoke from his, what would normally be considered a sick bed, although devotees are never sick. That should be understood. So that uh, amazing speech in which he said, I've given, he started off by saying, I've given troubles to many for which they may have considered me their enemy, although it was never my... Or they may consider that I have oppressed them, although it was never my intention to to do them anything but the highest good. And, uh, so it's it's a famous speech. So um, in, in in that speech, he toward the end of it, he said, Bhaktivinoda dharana kokano ruddha hoibena The line or the dhara means the flow, it literally means the flow, uh, it means like the flowing of it, the current of a river or the current of electricity like this. So the flow or the line of Bhaktivinoda will never be stopped. So in the same way, Bhakti Siddhanta will never be stopped. He's never dead because he lives forever in his divine instructions. Uh, so this devotee said, you have brought him to life. Means that maybe people didn't know much, so much about him. So in that sense, you could say he brought him to life. 
or I brought him to life. But actually it was Srila Prabhupada who, if anyone, if, if at all we are to use this uh, expression, it was Srila Prabhupada who brought Bhakti Siddhanta to life. He brought, in, in, the, in a world which was, uh, which had been enlightened by the teachings of Bhakti Siddhanta, in which his teachings had appeared to become somewhat eclipsed, Srila Prabhupada really brought the teachings of Bhakti Siddhanta to the world and brought them to life. Practical, practical, uh, practically resuscitated them. They're never dead. There's no question of them ever being dead because Bhakti is never dead. But it may sometimes be more prominent in the world and sometimes less prominent. So Srila Prabhupada brought the the mission of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, which might have seemed to have been uh, almost a failure. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati came, he preached very powerfully, uh, and then after his passing away, there was uh, severe quarreling among many of his followers, and the mission, which was dynamic and powerful, lost its vigor and its rigor and it wasn't exactly rigor mortis but it was in it was much uh, less powerful than it was uh, there was no sign of the the vigorous preaching or the or the bold spirit the spirit to go out all over the world and then Srila Prabhupada took that out to the world and everyone thought he was crazy actually whoever mostly people thought why is he going this old man he can't get anything together in India and he wants to go to the west now what's this idea he's going to go to the west and preach Christianity people thought he was crazy stupid no one no one thought it was there was no one who thought it was a good idea after Prabhupada went, you'll find so many people who said, actually it was me who encouraged, I, in the 1970s, <laughs> in the 1970s I was traveling in India and in Allahabad where Prabhupada used to live, I met two people who told me, actually it was, it was me who told him to go to the West. <laughs> Everyone wants to take credit, but, but actually no one, they, they thought he, they thought he was like uh, eccentric or had some strange fancy. What is this idea of going to, going to the West? What, what do you want to see the West for? You're already old. You're going to die soon. You're living in Rindavan. That's the perfection of life. You, you got this. Uh, what is all this? Even living in Rindavan, always trotting off to Delhi and making magazines that no one's interested in. And they thought he was nuts. I mean, they wouldn't. They wouldn't be so rude as to say that, but. They thought that it's just some strange idea, very strange. You know, so many people come from retired gentlemen, they come and live in Rindavan, and especially from Bengal, and many followers of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, many of his disciples, they come to live in Rindavan. All right, they come and live in Rindavan, and all right, and that's what you do. You're old, you're old, you live in Rindavan, and then you die, and that's it. What's this strange idea going off to the West? But Prabhupada was 
firm in his determination. He had Bhakti Siddhanta, uh, Vani dancing in his heart. So he wanted to bring that to the world, and he was he was uh, completely convinced. Although there was no one in the world to support him, the whole world was against him. But he was completely convinced that that what he must do. And from all external uh, symptoms, there really was no chance of him doing anything. I mean, you might have thought that if he if he could bring one or two people in the West to Krishna consciousness, that would be a tremendous achievement. Like uh, Vivekananda brought one sister Nivedita from Ireland. That was his achievement. And uh, of course there were other gurus at that time, so-called gurus in the West from India, but they were just plain cheating people. But that Prabhupada could bring people who were committed to following Vaishnava principles. No one thought it was possible. People, even people in India weren't interested. And Prabhupada himself hadn't been able to do anything, at least it appeared like that. Maybe that was Krishna's arrangement. Hadn't been able to do anything substantial in India. But uh, he was convinced. Let me try. Try or die. So he really brought the teachings of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati to life. And he always, uh, even though Srila Prabhupada, if we can say he had, if we see his qualifications in retrospect, we can see a tremendous determination, tremendous faith in the holy name, tremendous compassion, tremendous tolerance. Uh, these are all various, uh, uh, complete fidelity to the parampara. These are all the various qualifications by which he brought, was able to bring Krishna consciousness to the West. But he himself only ascribed his success to one qualification. As he famously said on several days, I have no personal qualification, but I simply try to execute the order of my guru. That's all. He felt that it's it's all simply by the mercy of his guru. That's all. And actually that's true. In one sense it's true that Srila Prabhupada did it because he was the empowered emissary of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He was sent by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He had a tremendous faith in the holy name, tremendous uh, faith in the prediction of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, tremendous determination, humility, tolerance, and all qualities of Mahabhagavatas. But even, in, I mean, even among Mahabhagavatas, there, there may be so many Mahabhagavatas, but Prabhupada was the one who brought Krishna consciousness to the West. So he had so many qualifications which are not to be uh, discounted. They're definitely genuine spiritual qualifications. But at the same time, he himself uh, repeatedly stated and which is also true, that all these qualifications come 
simply because of his uh, complete faith in and determination to serve Srila uh, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati. So, uh, as I analyzed to some extent in this book, Bhakti Siddhan Saraswati is not, Bhakti Siddhan is not just a name that you can give, you can give so, so many names may be given. Bhakti Siddhanta, Bhakti Vinod, Bhakti Vedanta, Bhakti Vikas, Bhakti Bringa. There may be the, uh, Bhakti may be combined with so many words which, uh, so many words which which combine with the word bhakti to uh, all these words they can be I, in these cases either bhakti can be taken as the adjective and the other word as a noun or the other word can be taken as an adjectively and the word bhakti as a noun in other for instance if we say bhakti siddhanta that can mean that the Siddhanta or the proper conclusion of Vedic study is Bhakti. Or it can mean the Siddhanta, the proper conclusion of Bhakti. So either way. Just either way. Just like if we say Radha Krishna. That can mean Radha and Krishna. Or it can mean Krishna's Radha, or it can mean Radha's Krishna. So all meanings are acceptable. So Bhakti Siddhanta. What is, the, first of all, that there is Siddhanta. In the modern age, Siddhanta means the proper conclusion. After going through all the various studies, what is the proper conclusion? The proper conclusion of Shastra, of the Vedic scriptures, is Bhakti. And what is that Bhakti? That is uh, the proper understanding of Bhakti, the complete understanding of Bhakti, is Rupanuga Viruddha Apisiddhanta Dvanta Hari. The proper understanding of Bhakti is given by Rupa Goswami which Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati again presented because it had become covered by wrong explanations, is anyabhila shita shunyam jnana kama dhyanabhritam anukul yena krishna anushilanam bhakti rutama. The bhakti that is devoid of any other motive than to satisfy Krishna, cultivation of such bhakti, that is considered a uh, that is the highest level of bhakti. So this is what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to teach through Rupa Goswami, through all the previous acharyas, and Bhakti Siddhanta taught that. Now we're speaking here today, obviously, about Bhakti Siddhanta. Uh, how did he view himself? Well, we see from this song which we just sung that. Uh, he considered himself, uh, as any bona fide guru must, a servant of the previous acharyas. He mentions all the prominent acharyas in the Madhva Sampradaya and then in the uh, Gorya Sampradaya. 
and he, he gives all their names and then he says, Ihara Paramahamsa. These are all Paramahamsas. These are all topmost swan-like devotees. Gorangera Nijabangsha. They are all uh, part of the uh, personal family of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's interesting because he includes there uh, all the Acharyas from Madhva and in his line also. He doesn't say, and I'm also a Paramahamsa, or I'm the, I'm the next Acharya. He doesn't say that. He says, Tadera Charane Mamagati. My goal or my destination is their lotus feet. Ami Shiba Udashin. He says, I am, I'm not interested in service. He, he describes himself as such, although he was of course, an acharya means who teaches by his service attitude. But he, in humility, he says, I am uh, uh, apathetic to service. Uh, and by name, I am a tridandi. Uh, by name, I am a, a bearer of the three-sticked uh, rod of a sannyasi. And Dina, I am very fallen and lowly. Sri Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati. So, he doesn't say, well, actually I'm the next Acharya, but he's, he as his, uh, he closes the song by giving his uh, own name and uh, presents himself as a servant of these Acharyas. And that is the, that is the position of an Acharya, is the servant of the previous Acharyas. So, of course, this is a very important point, uh, that a bona fide guru is a follower of the previous Acharyas. And we may take that within our ISKCON society, we may take that almost as a, as a given, because Srila Prabhupada stressed it so many times. But... Uh, we won't find this stressed in the Mayavadi Sampradaya song. Uh, uh, actually, it's a principle in all Vedic Sampradayas, or those who stress to follow. But in the, in the modern kind of, what is this, New Age, or Mayavad, which is already mad, gone more mad, uh, we won't, we won't find it. It's just like, uh, you know, everyone has to do their own thing. And, but, uh, although in many ways Bhaktisdan Saraswati was innovative and revolutionary, but he, uh, placed himself as the servant of the previous Paramahamsa Acharyas in preaching Bhakti Siddhanta. He, he, always emphasize this point, philosophical teaching. As an acharya means one who teaches according to Shastra. Which, and traditionally an acharya means one who not only teaches according to Shastra, but actually teaches Shastra, will, will teach his disciples the Shastra. means they have to learn it. That's... That's traditionally what Acharyas do. They teach the Vedas to their disciples. And there are still some Gurukuls in India where that's going on, where 
usually only one Veda, or, or not even the whole Veda, maybe one Sanghita or something like this. But uh, that's first the Acharya teaches the Veda, then, uh, well, there are so many points there. The, the, the Vedangas are to be taught. First of all, the, the Sanskrit language, the Vedangas, and Veda, and the, so many points are to be taught. So they would teach the Shastra and the meaning of it. So uh, really the meaning of an Acharya in, in its 25 pounds. Hmm? Okay, 20 pounds. <laughs> Want to make an appeal to the high court? You have to pay your own legal fees. So, Bhakti Siddhanta. Yeah, the, the Acharya is, they're meant to teach Shastra. That is the, is the basic, uh, role of an Acharya. Archinoti Yashastrani. Acharya stapiatyapi. Swayam Acharate Yasmad Acharya Stena Kirtitaha. This is the definition of an Acharya, one who teaches the Shastra, uh, who acts according to Shastra, uh, and who, what is this? Uh, yeah, Swayam Acharate Yasmad. He, by his own example, he teaches, uh, he teaches the letter, you can say the, the, by practice and by precept, he teaches the Shastra and himself is uh, most, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, he, he's most uh, scrupulous in following Shastra. Such a person is known as an Acharya. So, uh, actually every Acharya should, is, should be Bhakti Siddhanta. That's, every Acharya has to be Bhakti. Because, the actual message of the Vedas is bhakti. So every acharya should be bhakti. And, and simply to say bhakti, of course, that means shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu, smaranam, padasevanam, archanam, vandanam, dasyam, sakyam, atmani vedanam. This is, uh, bhakti's chain of alakshana. This bhakti as with the nine symptoms of hearing about vishnu, chanting about vishnu, uh, remembering Vishnu and so on, and, and the nine symptoms of bhakti. But uh, specifically the Acharya, as part, apart from these uh, activities of bhakti, teaches the, under, the understanding. So what is the proper understanding? And Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, this was uh, very much his role in teaching the proper understanding because in Bengal at that time, improper understandings of bhakti were prominent. There are many people who uh, claim themselves to be followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but their understandings, uh, even though they might wear Vaishnav Tilak, be initiated in what is was at least superficially a Vaishnav Sampradaya, 
they might chant Hare Krishna or similar Vaishnava or apparently Vaishnava chants and play Madangas and cartels and worship Radha Krishna and in many ways do everything which might seem that they're a proper Vaishnava but because they're understanding their conception is not according to Rupa Goswami, then Bhaktisthan Sarasura would point out that these people are in simple English off. Then they're not on the right line. They, they're superficially doing everything properly, but actually because their conception is not exactly according to Rupa Goswami, therefore, uh, because their understanding is wrong, they're not actually followers of Rupa Goswami. They are Shruti, Smriti, Purana, Adi, Pancharatra, Vidhingvina, Aikantaki, Hare, Bhakti, Utpata, Yaiva, Kalpati. They are, because they're not properly following the message of Shastra, therefore, uh, their so-called Bhakti, it, it might appear to be Bhakti, which and Bhakti is supposed to be uh most beneficial for human society, but their activities are actually a disturbance in society because they misrepresent bhakti. And in the name of bhakti, people are going to do so many things or have so many misconceptions which don't actually lead to pure devotional service and to becoming free from all mundane designations and purely serving Krishna and ultimately attaining Prema Bhakti at the lotus feet of Krishna. So uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, he was uh, most uh, he, he would uh, a rigid teacher, philosophical teacher. He wrote that even in even in my commenting on Chaitanya Bhagavat, which is a compendium of the pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, it's not a very philosophical book, as actually Chaitanya, Chaitanya Charitamrita. Is much has much more philosophical teaching than does Chaitanya Bhagavad. But Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he commented himself that it's my proclivity is such that even in commenting on Chaitanya Bhagavat, which is mostly about the pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, my comments have mostly been all philosophical. So he wanted people to have the correct understanding. Now, yeah, in the modern age, this idea that there is a correct understanding has been, to a large extent, uh, again, in human society, has been covered by Mayavadis, who give the idea that, on you could say neo-Mayavadis, because, as Srila Prabhupada noted in that book, which has been translated and published in English as Renunciation Through Wisdom, that even the traditional followers, Shankaracharya himself, he himself would be aghast at what people claiming to follow him, at, their, at what they do and what they say. Because Shankaracharya, his teachings were bad enough, but what people have done and in the name of him is even much worse. Uh, I believe Prabhupada here was referring to the Murgi mission or the chicken mission of, of Bibikananda and others. Uh, the Ramakrishna mission, one of the ways they fund their activities is having chicken farms. So, uh, that is an example of something that Shankara himself 
would have been aghast at. He would not have approved of that in the name of following himself. So, um, yeah, this, this uh, Mayavad ideas which have filtrated out to the Western world in the form of what is called New Age. New, it's it's old. It's the same. It's the same hackneyed ideas that have come out in various forms, in various climes, by various bogus people, and uh, just this feel good and talking, using words like harmony, compassion, love, beauty, peace without ever defining them in relationship to Krishna. Just a general feeling of unity, love, cosmic oneness, peace, bliss, but no reference to Krishna. Spiritual, no no definition of spiritual. Just feel good, smile, radiate, something or other. And... Radiate light. And the most important thing is to always smile and use always terms like nice, beautiful, wonderful. And you use all these words again and again and again and just feel the good vibes. Oh. So, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he was the antithesis of Mayavadi vagueness, preciseness. His teachings were very precise and clear. This is the right path, which to say that to a a new age pseudo-Mayavadi is just like, he doesn't want to hear it at all. It's it's not that there is one right path, because all the paths are good. Everything is good. Everything is spiritual. See, when I'm smoking hashish, I feel very spiritual. Very spiritual. See, I'm a a vegetarian. My dogs also are vegetarian. No, they they all have vegetarian dogs. In the West, in Ljubljana, in Slovenia last year, I walked in a temple shop and I saw packets of, I saw on sale dog food and cat food. I said, what's this dog food coming in? said, oh, it's vegetarian. And I, just, I couldn't stop laughing for about 10 minutes. <laughs> for about 10 minutes. I said, actually, it's a good idea because most of our devotees, they have dogs, so we're doing a service for them and giving them vegetarian. <laughs> so this is what happens when we don't preach bhakti siddhanta, when we don't give the clear knowledge when it's all just nice and feel good and tell lots of stories of Krishna Prem and have lots of kirtans, which are all not bad in themselves, but unless there's a solid basis in Bhakti Siddhanta, uh, then we'll end up thinking, you know, as is quite common, you know, we have devotees who think that their pet dog, what the hell are they having a pet dog for in the first place? My pet dog is actually a pure devotee. And all kinds of rubbish ideas which have got long way from Bhakti Siddhanta. A long, long, long way. But it looks, looks similar. Looks nice. Looks good. Feels, feels good. <laughs>
That's the most. It feels good. So if it feels good, it must be good. But that wasn't Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati's presentation. We should understand clearly what are the teachings. Parampara jano bhalo mate. We just saw. Understand clearly what is parampara. That means we should understand who are these acharyas, what are their teachings, what are the actual teachings of the parampara, which is bhakti siddhanta, only bhakti siddhanta. I mean the proper teachings. Anyabhilashita shunyam jnana kama dhyanavritam anukulyena krishnanushilam bhakti rutama. Uh, there are various definitions of bhakti. Uh, this appears at the beginning of uh, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. It's composed by uh, Rupa Goswami. In the next verse, or the verse prior to that, he, he quotes, Sarvopadivinir muktam tatparatvena nirmalam hrishikena hrishikesha sevanam bhakti rutama. Bhakti uchate, sorry. That bhakti is defined as uh, when one is free from all mundane designations and is uh, fully absorbed in the Supreme, uh, one is free from uh, mundane influences. The heart is pure and the senses, the thus purified senses are engaged in the service of the master of the senses. That is called bhakti. So, having listened thus far to what I've said, you may think, well, this is kind of scholarly and sounds more like jnana and it's not real bhakti. See, real bhakti is when we hear some stories and then we feel so nice in our heart. This was exactly the kind of criticism that was made of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, who spoke in a very scholarly manner, defining exactly what is bhakti, in all its nuances, and many uh, supposed to be devotees, who he called prakrita sahajians, or mundane persons who think that bhakti is very cheap, they would criticize him as being, oh, he's just a jnani. He doesn't, he doesn't really know what bhakti is. So we see that uh, Srila Prabhupada, following the example of bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, he was always speaking philosophy. There are so many stories about Prabhupada, which are very nice. Siddhanta Prabhu has made this DVD series of devotees' memories of Srila Prabhupada, which are very nice. Um, maybe a more realistic picture is found in Hari Shari Prabhu's Transcendental Diary, where we find like the minute by minute what Prabhupada was doing. And, it, and he's, Hari Shari Prabhu has not neglected to give overviews, or, or, or sorry, not, summaries of Srila Prabhupada's classes, which he sat down and gave classes, usually minimum once a day, often twice, sometimes three times or even more. And, at, and he would speak the philosophy of, straightforward philosophy of Krishna consciousness. Sometimes a little story or anecdote, not in every lecture by any means. Uh, in most lectures he didn't tell stories, but it would be short just to make a philosophical point. And uh, straightforward philosophy from beginning to end. He wasn't, Sometimes there was something a little bit humorous, but he wasn't out there to get people to laugh. He was giving a, a straightforward 
philosophical discourse. And uh, at night, when everyone was asleep, Prabhupada would be dictating his books. And during the day, he would, uh, he would morning walk, sometimes he would speak with his disciples philosophically, he would meet people, he would preach to them. Uh, so it may be that by hearing so many anecdotes of various things that Prabhupada did, we may get a somewhat imbalanced understanding of or, or uh, perspective of what Srila Prabhupada actually did, because a lot of the time he was speaking, or practically constantly we could say, he was speaking the philosophy of Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam. He was speaking Bhakti Siddhanta, which is, of course, Bhakti Vedanta, non-different. So, Hare Krishna. Any questions about all of this? There may be so many questions. You can please read the book. (laughs) It's a very enlivening book. Yes, please. Do you have any? Uh, I think it's going to be too hot to drink. Do you have any cold water also? Yeah. Hari. You told me to say Hari, so I said Hari. Hari. Yeah, if you say Hari Bowl, that's ordering me to say Hari. It's a good thing. Oh. Dharam. Primitive question? The statement is that to reach to the highest level of, of bhakti, the pillars of jnana are required. But then when one gets to the highest level, then jnana is dropped. So is this a contradiction? Well, uh, jnana and concomitant vairagya, knowledge and renunciation, they are in their actual form, not separate from bhakti. It's not that jnana is something and bhakti is something else, because jnana means tattva jnana, knowledge of reality. And what is the what is that? In summary, it is that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. I am his servant eternally, and therefore my only duty is to serve him. So in Gyan, actual Gyan is not different from Bhakti. Uh, and it's not that one has to go through a long, long process of Gyan immediately if one can understand this. But we find in Bhagavad Gita, Bahunam Janmanamante Gyanavamam Prapadyate Vasudeva Sarvamiti Samahatma Sudurlabaha. After many births, someone who is cultivating Gyan 
they may surrender to me, knowing me to be all in all, knowing Vasudev myself to be all in all. Such a Mahatma is very rare. So that refers to people who are cultivating Gyan, but they didn't really get the point, in, because you can get the point right in the beginning immediately. So if one is cultivating what people consider to be Atma Gyan, or knowledge of the self, or the difference between the self and matter, but they don't understand, or they don't accept, or they're not inclined to accept Krishna's supremacy, then because they miss that point, they can spend millions of lifetimes without actually coming to the point. So it's not that that kind of gyan actually brings you to bhakti. That kind of gyan is an obstacle to bhakti. But real gyan is non-different from bhakti. It's, it's absolutely uh, inseparable from bhakti. And that will be realized <coughs> by one who takes to bhakti. Therefore, Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojataha Janyat Yashu Vairagyam Jnanam Chayada Haitukam. One who takes to bhakti, then uh, one who takes to this path, <coughs> then immediately, automatically along with that, come Jnana and Vairagya. Because the actual Jnana and actual Vairagya are inseparable from bhakti. But what goes on in the world in the name of Jnana and Vairagya, what people generally think it to be, as being separate from bhakti, that's not actual, it's, it's, a, it's an incomplete understanding. And that's why people think that, that uh, jnana leads to bhakti. But actually jnana is inseparable from bhakti. If one has jnana, then he must be a bhakta. If you don't have jnana, actual complete jnana, then uh, that, that jnana is really, uh, is not very helpful to one. So, uh, when one loses that gyan, when one comes to the pure state, well, not really, because the essence of gyan is service to Krishna, and in the pure state, um, that is not lost, that is enhanced to the fullest extent. So, even though, for instance, the gopis of Vrindavan, they're not sitting and discussing philosophy, but they're on the highest platform of Jnana because they're fully dedicated to the service of Krishna. Yeah, anything else? What do you mean by Jnana? Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, you would have you define that. You're saying Jnana, what do you mean by it? Knowledge, yeah, that's a, a very general term. What are you talking about here? Knowledge of how to build factories? Are you talking about that? What do you mean by scientific? You mean empiric knowledge? Well, empiric knowledge is not sufficient. It's, it, empiric knowledge, by very definition cannot lead us or cannot even begin to approach the spiritual. As empiric means that which is materially observable. And spirit, by definition, is not material. It can't be understood by the empiric method. That's another of Bhaktisiddhanta big points. One of his major points, that the, these foolish people, they want to, they reject spiritual knowledge because they think they're empiric, 
But the very nature of spiritual knowledge, by its very definition, is that it cannot be understood by the empiric method. If it could be, then it wouldn't be spiritual. So you have to take another methodology. Well, first you have to know what spirit. So many people use the word spiritual. What do they mean? They don't even they don't even think that they. They don't even think that they should understand what they mean. They consider it to be a vague term, but it's not a vague term. From Bhagavad Gita, Krishna explains that there is matter, which is bhumirapa yokangmano cha ahankara itiyangme bina prakatirashtata. There are the eight elements. And apareya mitasvanyang practicing vidhime param jiva bhutang mahabaho yayedam dharyate jagat. And there is ma- there is spirit, which is another kind of prakriti that is that is non-material, which consists of all the atmas, who by their existence in this world keep it moving along. Or they sustain this. This world is sustained by the spiritual energy, not by the material energy. So first we should understand, people say spiritual, they think it's some, some vague feeling, but Krishna isn't vague. So even to ask questions, first, it's just like, you know, someone comes, they want to ask, uh, they want to ask questions about uh, relativity theory, Einstein's, you know, first go to school and learn arithmetic Algebra, geometry, trigonometry, calculus, and you got all math, physics, and you know, come up to that level and then discuss. Many times people they ask, but they don't really know what they're talking about. Just like, you know, they use words like knowledge, words like spiritual, jnana, but they, they have some vague conception. That's why well, I guess I shouldn't have asked for questions if I was going to hammer you like that. <laughs> but, uh, but really, the thing is, really the thing is to listen, listen here, and then try to understand. The thing is, if we come with preconceptions, we've heard from so many bogus people, and we we, we read one or two books, and we think, and now I know something. Uh, it becomes more difficult, which is another reason why Bhaktisthan Sarasri was so much hammering people. Actually, he called it a chopping technique. <laughs> because people, people would come with wrong ideas and he would chop them away. Because as long as you have them, you can't understand real, the real thing actually as it is. Srila Prabhupada said one reason he was able to preach successfully in the West is because... People, they didn't know, they didn't have so many misconceptions, so they accepted what he said. That's changed now. Nowadays, people in the West, they, they know so many things. It's a problem, because they, don't, they think they know, but they don't know the actual thing as it is. So if you can, uh, as Srila Prabhupada often quoted from Prabodhananda Saraswati, Prabhupada paraphrased him, that we go to people and we speak to them very respectfully and then when we have their attention we say please give up all your hogwash ideas and simply surrender at the lotus feet of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, we all, 
in, in, in some ways people from Hindu backgrounds are better candidates for taking the devotional service because they have, in their culture, they have an inclination to Krishna. But on the other hand, they've heard so many bogus things about Krishna from so many bogus people and the whole culture is one of, uh, very much permeated by these Mayavad ideas that all gods are the same and so many bogus things that to sort it, to sort it all out is, to, to get that out of the system is, it requires some chopping. <laughs> chop out, chop out the, uh, just like in India, you see if, if any land is left free, all these thorn bushes grow up. So you have to, the, what are you going to do if you want to use that land? You have to chop them. Nowadays they bring a bulldozer, but for the bigger trees, that even won't work, but. You just have to chop this. What are you going to do with it? If you want to utilize the land to produce some good crops, you have to chop out the trees, all the thorn trees, which are which are useless. Maybe for firewood they can be used, that's all. So people have so many wrong ideas. We are all God. There are so many gods. This Baba is the latest avatar. <laughs> the wheelchair avatar. Just... For the first time in his life, he did something good for the world by leaving it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, so many, so many bogus ideas. In the past, um, um, three devotees of the Siddhanta Sarsavati attempted to preach in the West. Yeah. And... Um, why did they fail? Why did they fail? Well, Srila Prabhupada said, but he said, said that they weren't very sincere. That was his... Uh, that's how he relayed that to us. He said they weren't very serious about the mission. That was his analysis. Oh yeah, really, definitely. There's no doubt about it. That was Prabhupada's analysis. In the Rea Vishnu, hmm. in the book Rea Vishnu, hmm. he mentioned Who mentioned? The author. Yeah. He quoted Prabhupada speaking about that. Yeah. You could also see that The times were not, you know, the, the British people were very puffed up thinking themselves the rulers of the world and the Indians their servants. And shortly after that, the Second World War broke out. I mean, you could take it from that point of view also. But then when Prabhupada went to the West, it wasn't like there, he had a, a brass band waiting for him. Not by any means. He had to struggle and he he made his preaching field. Actually. I mean, even the, even the hip... He, he, he thought, first of all, he'd go to the leaders and the leaders would appreciate this good philosophy. That's quite clear from Prabhupada's purports to the first canto. He, he addresses his purports to the leaders of society. And he's, he wanted to go among the, the more educated and sophisticated class, but he didn't find any interest. And so he went among the hippies who showed some kind of interest, although they were behaviorally quite wild. Uh, but Srila Prabhupada found some spark of interest. So really, 
Prabhupada, he created the preaching field. It wasn't that, that the hippies were like that interested or they, they, they saw Prabhupada as some kind of a curiosity. But, but uh, as far as following the regulated principles, committing themselves to a guru, I mean, they were a long, long way away from that. So it was really by Prabhupada's determination, sincerity, faith, and his commitment to serving his guru that he he made the preaching field. So Prabhupada could say that, that he could make that comment that his godbrothers were insincere uh, because he had done what they were not able to do. Uh, the conditions were, in, in many ways, the conditions that he went to the West were... Uh, more difficult than those of his godbrothers. His godbrothers were financially supported, which he wasn't. Srila Prabhupada wasn't. They, they had each other's association, which he didn't. They had regular communion by post with their guru to give them guidance, which Prabhupada, he had uh, regular communion, you could say, by the transcendental method, but he didn't have any such direct uh, help in that way from his guru or anyone else. They were, uh, they had, they could introduce themselves as members of an institution in India. They had introduction letters uh, from uh, important people in India which had been contacts made by the Goryamat preaching, which Prabhupada, he didn't have anything. He had, his only facility was his faith in. Srila Bhaktisthan Sarsartako, the holy name, the Shastra, the order of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and the books which he himself had produced. So, it could be said that the time was better, but uh, I'm not so sure if it was better. And definitely Prabhupada, he, he, uh, he didn't have the same kind of facility that his godbrothers had when they went to the West. But anyway, um, as follow, I mean, as you brought up that question, I may, I may answer that. You asked how Prabhupada's godbrothers went to the West and they weren't successful. Why is that? And I gave Prabhupada's answer that Prabhupada saw them as insincere. But as uh, disciplic followers, it's not our uh, duty or maybe even right to go around propagating this kind of thing. And we should respect Srila Prabhupada.